So this morning we continue our journey through the gospel according to Mark. This morning the passage is from Mark chapter 5, the first 20 verses. And it will be a team effort this morning to read this passage. It will be participatory for all of us uh, as the bulletin and I hope the slides will reflect uh, the passage is broken into three groups, one, two, and three, and here's how it will go. This side of the sanctuary, uh, we will be group one. This side of the sanctuary will be group two. Maureen will be part of that group. If you're looking for some visual cues to know you're, you're on the right road. And uh, folks who are in the balcony and part of our online community and our mighty choir uh, will be group three. And I invite all of us <clears throat> to read our part with energy and with gusto. <clears throat> Let us now together uh, hear and read God's word for us this day. What do you want with us? Jesus of Nazareth. We are the genus. The legion, the many. Who take up our space. We rattle and rumble and cast him about. We howl and thunder and make ourselves heard. And now you command us to forever. We do not agree. Go out of this place and us no more. What are you saying? Jesus of Nazareth, we will not back down until we are gone. Then let us at least pass into this swine herd. For there will continue our thundering roar. Down into the sea we will go. What do you want from us? Jesus of Nazareth. You cast out demons. From this tortured man. We don't recognize him. Nor you for that We'd like you to leave us. Depart from this land. All your strange powers, which make us distrust what we can't understand. What do you want with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Disruption, upheaval, forgiveness, and mercy. We can't quite be sure of these blessings you bring. To be open to wonder if we gave you a chance, what do we lose? Our safety, our comfort, our lives. Then give us your life, and we'll follow with gladness for all of our lives. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to And let us pray. <clears throat> what do you want with us, holy God? What is the truth that you'd have us hear, the expression of love you'd have us receive? We open our hearts and minds and all that we are, Lord, to the movement of your spirit, to the hearing anew of your invitation and your grace and your mercy in these moments ahead. We pray this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. 
too young novice. <clears throat> two young novice monks had not yet renounced their addiction to cigarettes. They had both smoked for years. They knew it was unhealthy. They dearly wanted to quit, <clears throat> but it had not yet been successful. So the first one approached the head of the monastery, the abbot. May I smoke while I pray, he asked. The abbot said no. And that same novice was startled and surprised to see his friend smoking the next day and to learn that the abbot had given him permission. <clears throat> you have to know how to phrase it, his friend said. You asked if you could smoke while you pray. I asked if I could pray while I smoke. <laughs> what is it in your life that holds you captive and that you yearn to be free from? It's the core question of this sermon and the question I invite us all to ponder. What is it in your life that holds you captive and that you yearn to be free from? And maybe it's a job and you need the medical benefits or you're not yet invested in the pension and so you can't leave, but it's the last place you wanna be. Maybe it's an illness, a physical illness, a, a mental illness, maybe it's an addiction to alcohol or to some other drug or to something else. Perhaps it's a relationship. It's long been clear to you that it's unhealthy, it does you harm, but <clears throat> you keep going back to it. Maybe it's some aspect of the way you view yourself. Your self-image, self-perception. It's holding you back. It's keeping you in chains. It's holding you captive. And you yearn to be free from it. If you're in high school or middle school, perhaps you're held captive by the desire to fit in and to be accepted. If you're applying to colleges, you might be held captive by that pressure and expectation of getting into a top-tier school that you could be so thrilled to post on social media. If you're in your 50s or 60s, maybe it's the pressure to build up a financial nest egg of X amount or larger. What is it in your life that holds you captive and that you yearn to be set free from? Our scripture this morning tells the story of a man who is held captive by an evil spirit. He's literally bound by chains out of fear of the harm that he'll do to himself or to others. He's held captive by the presence of evil, by a demon. His life is no longer his own. Similar to the 
paralyzed man with the four friends in our scripture two weeks ago, we never learn this man's name. Only what it is that ails him. That he is possessed by an evil spirit. He is inflicting harm upon himself. He is apart, separated from society. And from that which holds him captive, from that which has stolen his life, Jesus frees him. And the gift which is in this passage for all of us is the promise that God offers to do the same for you and for me. The promise to break our chains, open the doors of our prison cell, free us from that which holds us captive, if we will but let God grant us that freedom. So many people these days have doorbells with cameras on them. I'm wondering if you have one of those. And social media reports all kinds of unexpected encounters being filmed by those counters. I heard of a man in Alaska who huddled for safety in a shed in his yard, hiding from a moose. He'd gone out to work on his truck in his driveway, and this moose appeared. And he dashed into the shed to protect himself. And the moose was holding him in that shed. It was all caught on the doorbell camera. He was grateful he could call his wife on his cell phone for help. I know my wife would be ready to help me in such a situation. (laughs) By that moose in his shed, he was held captive. A couple of weeks ago, the New York Times ran a fascinating article about smartphone addiction and how our reliance on our addiction to technology can literally hold us captive. I wonder if you saw that. The technology editor opened the article by writing, this time of year, everyone asks what you like least about your life, but they phrase it as, What's your New Year's resolution? It's a probing question. What do you like least about your life? She went on to say that what she likes least about her life is her addiction to her smartphone, which her daily screen time report tells her she reaches for at least 100 times every day. And she saw how the use of her phone was clearly having a damaging impact on her health and her relationships. And so for the month of December, she tried an experiment. She set aside her $1,300 top-of-the-line Apple iPhone and used a $100 mostly plastic flip phone. Not having her regular phone with her caused her all kinds of hassles, including how to monitor the balance on her checking account, how to remotely check the battery level of her electric car, and how to set up a robot vacuum she got for Christmas that required an iPhone app. But it was also profoundly liberating. Her daughter told her, Mommy, 
you seem to smile more. And going on walks with her husband, they would actually talk together instead of immersing themselves in their individual podcasts. She felt like she had more time and more control over what to do with it. Some people have a dry January to counteract some of the eating and drinking excesses of the holidays. In that same spirit, she proposes what she calls flip phone February, a month of people setting aside the device that can be an addiction and steal so much time and energy and life from us. This past Tuesday, I watched the New Hampshire presidential primary with great interest. I imagine I'm not the only one following that unfolding narrative with great attentiveness. Many remarked to me how profoundly discouraging it is to them to see the division and polarization and contentiousness that has more and more come to set the tone of our national life. One might even say that it holds us captive. Liliana Mason is a political scientist at Johns Hopkins, and she wrote a fascinating book entitled Uncivil Agreement, How Politics Became Our Identity. And she says that the dynamic of extreme polarization is not so much based on divergent policy preferences as it is on our feelings toward one another. And that fascinates me. Extreme polarization is not so much based on divergent policy preferences as it is on our feelings toward one another. The tendency to form tightly knit groups has its roots in evolution. Humans evolved in a challenging world of limited resources in which survival required cooperation and identifying the rivals, the competitors of those resources. One sociologist put it this way, the evolution of cooperation required outgroup hatred. We are designed, it seems, we are hardwired to form groups. It's part of who we are. And from this perspective, the only way to form a group is to define a certain group of others as being not in it. How imprisoned so many of us are by the tribes that we view ourselves as being a member of and those we perceive as being outside of those tribes that all too often we resent or fear or devalue. Now, looking at any gospel passage, a fantastic question to ask is, where is the good news in this passage? Sometimes the answer is so obvious it jumps right off the page other times one needs to look more closely. The good news that is so evident in this morning's gospel narrative, the story of the Gerasene demoniac, a person whose name we don't even learn, a demon-possessed man living among the tombs who's chained and shackled to keep him apart from others in his community, 
The good news in this story is that Jesus seeks out the people that no one else wants to be with. It happens time and again with those who are viewed as outcasts on the fringe, hated, uh, mistrusted members of the outgroup. Jesus seeks out the people that no one else wants to be with. And sometimes we find ourselves as a member of that outgroup. And other times we are the ones who are discarding and casting out others that we might perceive ourselves as part of the in-group. The story is told of a young French soldier during the First World War who overstayed his leave and fearing disgrace, he decided to desert. He persuaded his mother to lock him up in the attic of their home and there she hid him and fed him for over 20 years. But in August of 1937, his mother died. There was no chance now of his continuing his two decades long practice and remaining in hiding any longer. And so, pale and haggard, he staggered along to the nearest police officer where he gave himself in. The police officer looked at him incredulously and asked him, where have you been that you've not heard? Haven't heard what? Asked the man. That a law of amnesty for all deserters was passed years ago. The man had been granted freedom but did not enjoy it, did not receive it, because he did not know that he had it. It is the same with many of us. We have been set free by Jesus Christ, by God's abundantly generous, never-ending and merciful love. But we are not enjoying that freedom because we do not know that we have it. Dear friends, what hold you captive? And is God's unconditional love able to loose the chains and set you free? I don't intend to minimize the power or the strength of what it is that has its grip on you. But might the power and strength of God's unconditional love be greater? In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen.